Welcome to episode two of the Monster Podcast. This week, Jay and I talked to Sarah Duke, a curator of popular and applied graphic art in the Prints and Photographs Division of the Library of Congress. We speak to Sarah about the current exhibit at the library titled Baseball Americana and the library's extensive collection of T206s and other pre-war baseball cards. Thanks for listening. We were actually uh, just over at the Library of Congress to look at the baseball exhibit, uh, and it's exciting, I think, for us to see something that we picked up very early on in our lives. I mean, I started collecting baseball cards in 1986, and I've always been enthralled by the history of them, and I think it's fascinating to see that type of stuff in the Library of Congress being recognized as historically important artifacts. Um, We'd love to know, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about our, how we got into this stuff, but how you ended up here um, and how you ended up being in charge of the baseball card collection. Okay. Maybe start there. Yeah, yeah. okay. I'm, I'm Sarah Duke. Uh, my official title is Curator of Popular and Applied Graphic Art, and I work in the Prints and Photographs Division of the Library of Congress. And the Prints and Photographs Division is home to 16 million uh, works of art, uh, mostly photographic. Um, it range from baseball cards, uh, luggage labels, since we're on ephemera. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, I have to ask, 16 million individual photographs, how much space does that take up? Can you sort of I- I- graphically illustrate for us how much space that actually takes up? All right, so we have on the Fort Meade military base shelving that goes 30 feet into the air. Okay. So we're thinking vertically. Um, we're f- thinking vertically. We're thinking off off site, out of off of Capitol Hill. Um, we also have with the motion picture division in an old FBI bunker in Culpeper, Virginia, nitrate negatives stored in cold storage because nitrate needs to be kept cold in order to prevent it from being flammable. So we think about proper storage conditions as well. Um, but here on the hill, we store. A few million items uh, right here in the Prince of Photographs division. You came into the reading room, and on either side of the reading room, there are vaults in which we store um, baseball cards, uh, book plates, uh, editorial cartoons, comic strip drawings, comic book illustrations, photographs, um, master photographs, uh, the migrant mother, kind of the photograph that everybody thinks about when they think about the Dust Bowl. Um, architecture, design, and engineering. So there's a lot stored here, and we try to, to preserve it and keep it for future generations. I think that's awesome just, just to imagine that, you know, a mixed in with all this, these amazing historical artifacts is quite a large baseball card collection. So could you tell us a little bit about the baseball card collection? Maybe where did it come from? Why is it here? Just sort of the who, what, where, when, why of the collection. Right, sure. Um, Benjamin Edwards was the man who compiled um, our biggest baseball card collection here at the library. And he lived from, well, he died in 1943. And he was collecting in an era, can you imagine an era without computers, without eBay, with about cell phones so who how are you going to find out who has a collection well you're going to find out by word of mouth and you're going to write a letter to a town because you heard that the collector lives in a particular town and you're going to ask about his collection and is if he is he interested in trading does he have duplicates 
Is he interested in selling his collection? Actually, a really interesting anecdote related to that. Some of the early famous collectors, like Mr. Edwards, they used to put back stamps of their name on the back of some of their cards so that when they got back and forth and were discussing with a collector and they were going to send you know, a large collection of cards to someone who might be interested in buying them, they could identify what was actually there by back stamps. So some of the other earlier collectors, like Jefferson Burdick, there are back stamps that exist on every one of their cards. Well, and that makes sense. You want to make sure that if your your collection's moving around the country, that people know that you compiled it and that you had a largesse big enough that you could actually trade away part of the collection to get the, those cards that you were most interested in. That, um, that's really interesting. Did, did uh, Mr. Edwards collect these cards himself, or was he buying them on the secondary market? No, he was collecting himself. We have letters. Um, here, I have the uh, collection case file. Oh, very um, cool. <laughs> So, um, and uh, so he's writing to Mr. Uh, Hoagland in Miller, Kansas, and he's um, he's uh, um, writing about the inventorying of the collection, and he's trying to figure out, um, you know, if he's ready to to communicate about his his collection. This is really interesting. I'm just going to read the letter. It's really short. Chicago, Illinois, December 7th, 1937. Mr. C.C. Hoagland, Miller, Kansas. Friend Hoagland, I am just in receipt of your December 1st trial balance. I'm interested to know as to how soon you will inventory. Would like very much if you could inventory soon so that I may have the figures by the 15th. It is snowing here today. Have you had much snow or rain this fall? With kind regards, I am your very, very yours truly, B.K. Edwards. That's really cool. Isn't that cool? We also have in here um, some other notes. I don't know that I'm going to find them easily, um, but you can see on the back of this letter, he's National League, American Association, Western Association, and he's figuring out, you know, is this a list of the cards in in the series, or is it the cards, you know, which column is it? You know, is this what he has and this is what he wants? Or is this what he has and this is what he needs to have? But he's trying to figure it all out. This is really interesting. Really? Trying to pick out certain words that, you know, that have significance to us. There's cabinet photos. There's Goodwin, have 28. There are totals of a couple hundred cards, National League and American League. Um, quite a few of the the teams that we see in the T206 set, but also quite a few of the minor league teams as well. This is really, really interesting. Dated 331-1940. Yeah, so just uh, a few years before he died. So he's, he was actively collecting, you know, within years of his death. But he's looking at earlier teams. He's not collecting the gum cards. Right. He's not collecting um, some of the... Um, other players. Here's another list of American uh, Association, Western Association, girls baseball. Um, so I want to let you know that the baseball cards are just a fraction of his entire collection. He had about 12,000 cards in his collection, and only about 10% of it was baseball cards. The biggest um, section was actually actresses. Okay. And did he have other cards? Then there's some American Indian cards and and boxing pugilists, things like that. Things as well. like that, bridge, um, you know, bridge scoring trading cards, and so it was a die cut, just a very eclectic um, collection that he was building. Um, 
he ended up living in um, Beverly, no, not Beverly Hills. He ended up living in California at the time of his death. And these, based on the kind of timeline, I believe this collection came to the library in 1954? Yes. These documents predate that, some of them by almost 20 years. So the, here, here's the story about the collection. Uh, Mr. Edwards died in 1943. At the time he died, he had a son who was of high school, young college age, and he had a daughter who was much older by an earlier marriage. Um, he married three times, and uh, it wasn't that he was, um, you know, kind of a, a, a wisp about marriage and a, and a bad guy. The, the first marriage ended after his eldest child died. He was playing um, hide-and-seek with the child, and a table that was not, a marble table that was not secured to the base uh, fell off and oh crushed the child's skull. And the child died almost instantly, and his first marriage uh, dissolved within months, yeah. as, as one might expect. Certainly. Um, so at the time of his death, he has a daughter and a son. And his son goes off before he goes to college, and he goes to Banff and Canada, and he, gets, he races across train tracks in, in his automobile and is crushed by a train. Boy, the guy, the guy, the guy, the guy, the guy had some really hard luck. That's <laughs> yes, terrible. It is. It's really terrible. So here's the child who's going to inherit the estate, right? You don't assume at this point that daughters are going to inherit the estate. So at this point, the the child that would have inherited anything is dead, and I think his his daughter goes to pack up the house in Chicago and clean it out, and as she does so. Somehow she learns that Carl Sandburg is interested in baseball cards. And so she packs up the set with a letter to Carl Sandburg. Um, we just have a copy of it. Her, her husband, who's a lawyer, um, sends it to him. Here, here it is in 1948. Um, so he's shipping this collection. And my favorite line in that, um, he's, his, Mrs. Erickson is, is Edward's daughter, um, He's telling um, Sandberg that he's hoping that he will get pleasure out of possessing the baseball cards, but Mrs. Erickson, that is Edward's daughter, expressed a wish that as and when you have reached the conclusion that they are no longer of interest or value to you and you wish to give them to some museum or other institution that you state in your letter of gift that they were the property of Benj Benjamin K. Edwards, formerly of Chicago, Illinois, and they were given to you by his daughter, Elizabeth E. Erickson. So those wishes ultimately were carried out. And it just so happened that the poet, Carl Sandburg, his daughter worked in the manuscript division of the Library of Congress. And so when he was done with the baseball card collection in 1954, they came to the Library of Congress just by the dint that his daughter worked in the Library of Congress. Wow. That's so, awesome. And that's been a part of the Library of Congress collection since 1954, then? Since 1954. And, they, and it has been known as the Benjamin K. Edwards collection. And originally, we thought that Edwards must have given them to Sandberg because he was more famous and, and like, who would accept a baseball card collection from a nobody? But that's not the truth at all. The truth is that Edwards was long dead and that his daughter was giving a treasured collection to somebody that she thought might enjoy it. 
And it's just by the fluke that Sandberg's daughter worked here at the Library of Congress that the collection came here. How does, so I was thinking about this and just kind of the nature of baseball cards and how they're kind of this crossover artifact, right? They could be just as easily in my mind in the American History Museum at the other end of the mall here <laughs> in D.C. And because I feel like there are artifacts like that. So how, uh, other than Sandberg's daughter working at the library, what kind of considerations were made like in, in deciding that baseball cards are going to be the home for baseball cards of the Library of Congress? So um, I, I don't know that there's not a big baseball card collection at the other end of yeah, the Yeah, there mall. might be. <laughs> there might be. It's a pretty big institution. Yeah. Um, I think too many people, when they think of the Library of Congress, think of this place that's kind of standoffish. And that's not how we think of ourselves. We think of ourselves as pretty ecumenical. And we think of ourselves as documenting American creativity, American knowledge. I mean, that's who we are. And so we have papers of politicians and we have papers of poets and authors and cartoonists. But we also collect pretty broadly. Yeah. Um, and. Um, because we're also the copyright repository, we get some. Ba we've gotten some baseball cards, including some like uncut old judge and modern uncut sheets. We saw that sheet in the. That was the thing that I think jumped out at us most. I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah, that and was that, that was an unbelievable artifact. That I think, you know, from what we've seen, the old judges are typically sort of a washed out image. But just to see the the crispness. That, that she exhibited was was really, really amazing. Yeah, I mean, and we have a whole box of them. But that came, at least from what we were reading, too, in the context of copywriting. That's right. For the cards, not just, they weren't donated as a collection, they were sent here on business, basically. Right, well, so the cards, not all the cards were copyrighted, but certain businesses understood that they wanted to protect their images and it was easier, obviously, to send an uncut sheet to the Library of Congress, pay one fee, and register it, rather than have somebody cut up the cards for packaging and then ship them to the library. And so we have we have we have a whole box of those uncut judge cards. That's yeah. really awesome. I can't say I've seen that in any other context. You know, this could be, you know, a one of a kind sort of thing that only existed simply from the the copyright, the patent and trademark side of trying to protect the images right. from those old judges. That, that was an, an unbelievable artifact in the, in the exhibit next door. Yeah, I think when you, when you have, well, the, you know, they're albumin photographs. So unlike lithographic cards, where maybe they thought, oh, well, we've copied off somebody else's card, or we've copied off this photograph. I mean, they're, they weren't, they're drawn anew. They're not, they may have been experimenting with the use of photography and lithography together. That was probably was very likely. Yeah. Um, but there's enough variation between. We have um, some photographs that were clearly used for baseball cards, but there's enough variation that we know that they the cards were hand drawn. Right. Um, or at least hand manipulated. The T two O sixes. Yeah. 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 Um, but. Um, for the judge, those are those are actual photographs. They're albumin yeah. photographs, and so um, you want to protect that. That's a unique thing. You don't want somebody to go and then make a photograph of your photograph and market right. your cards. Yeah. And so, what better? The only way to protect them at that point in United States law was to register them for copyright. 
what makes those special enough to be part of the Library of Congress? You know, what what is it about these cards, how they were made, and what they depict that makes them part of American history belonging here? Right. So um, Mr. Edwards specifically collected cigarette cards. He never he never extended his collection into gum cards or very little. We have a few gum cards, but not very many from him. Well, anyway, he wrote kind of a history of um, a history of baseball cards and the development of their their marketing for cigarettes because at the time when they were initially marketed, rolled cigarettes were not a popular tobacco item. They were relatively new. Most people rolled their own, or people, or they smoked a pipe, or they chewed tobacco. And here was this attempt to to market a, a pre-packaged item. And how better to lure people to do that than to offer them a little trading card inside that? It, it acted as a stiffener to prevent the cards from the cigarettes themselves from being crushed, um, but it also gave people an impetus to buy cigarettes. And, and as I said before, baseball cards were just a small part of that. It, it, it was actresses, it was boxers, it was ships. There were all flags of the world. There were lots of things that were marketed. Um, and, and people, you know, it's, it's hard to think now when we have so many things coming at us. A world without television, without radio, without computers, without cell phones, where you had the pleasure of sitting down for hours and enjoying a collection. And people compiled that collection specifically to entertain themselves. And so he compiled a collection of trading cards to entertain himself. And he he built up checklists. I I still need this. I need to look for that. And who might have this? it's especially interesting also if you consider what was, you know, the average American's likely interaction with baseball at that time. I mean, radio was prevalent, so you could listen to probably your own, your local game only on the radio, or you could go to the ballpark. So this presented a way for you to have a tangential, a, a tangible, excuse me, photo of a player who you like, and that could be your only interaction right. for, with that type of player. When Edwards was collecting, radio didn't even exist. Okay. So your only record of like who played games other than newspaper accounts no. was your baseball cards. Yeah, you know, right. who was the player on this team in 1913? You know, by the time you get to 1930, it's baseball cards. And it, you know, yes, we have great photography collections that include baseball players. We have great photography collections of what were then um, companies that distributed photographs widely and so we can actually look at players on baseball cards with photographic negatives of the baseball players in action at the time it's one of our, our strengths here at the library of congress that we're not just coming at a topic from one angle we can do it from multiple angles but for the average american they're not going to have a collection of photographic negatives they're not the library of congress so what's their entree these really inexpensive trading cards that came with their packet of cigarettes and why do we care more about the baseball cards than we care about the actresses and the ships because it's the nature of baseball right it's statistics it's the past it's who played what when and the only way you're going to know what they look like you hope 
it was a good representation, is that little baseball card. Now, we, you and I know there's some baseball cards that you know the catcher is in the same position and it's the same figure for whatever team. You know, it could be five teams, and the only thing that changes is the color of the uniform. Yeah. But pretty quickly, I think, it was a market for, as you were saying, tangible evidence of somebody's existence. It had to be a good likeness. The crudely, crudely made, inexpensive cards that were really just representing a position on a team based on the color of the uniform, they didn't last the way the, the nicely rendered lithographs, the nicely photographed images, the, the trifolds, you know, that gave you an image of two players and a little bit of action. Um, those are what spoke to people because that was their evidence that the game existed, that somebody really had played it. Um, you could go back to old newspaper accounts. You could go back to maybe somebody's diary or papers and, and read about accounts of games. But in reality, um, baseball cards are your evidence. And I think if you look at the T206 set in, in, in particular, it's so large, but at the same time, the quality of the cards is, is unbelievably strong. The colors endure. The facial likenesses are, are different. There are, you know, different people pictured. It, it is very, it's unmistakable one card from another one. So, you know, I think they, you saw rapid development in baseball cards in a very short time. What, what people don't understand is how much effort went into making these. You know, for something that was a giveaway in a pack of cigarettes, you know, Anything with multiple colors, um, this is at least, so that's a lithographic stone, that blue background, that peachy skin cone was another one. So you have a photomechanical background that was laid down, and then you have at least two lithographic stones that are going down on top of it. And this is this is the T206 Matthews and White cap right. we're talking about. Right. Um, so there's a lot of thought because each stone is going down separately on the paper. So you got to think like here for this particular image, how is that going to like, how's the color going to lay? So it looks like the folds of the uniform. So there's some, there's a lot of art that goes into making these and we respect them for their um, dissemination of the icons of the sport or for representation of non icons in the sport. Right. But there's a lot of art that goes into making the folds of the uniform, uh, bringing them out, making them look as realistic as possible. I think yeah. that's really interesting. We've also, we, we've been leafing through some of the papers here in the case file, but there, there was one thing that I just wanted to call the audience's attention to. We're looking at uh, what is an envelope from Charles Bray to Mr. Edwards. Um, many people who are active in the collecting community will recognize the Bray collection, which was just recently sold at one of the major auction houses. And a lot of the cards are now graded by PSA with an encapsula- encapsulation that says the, the Charles Bray collection. And those have been making their way onto eBay. I know I own a couple, and it, it's it's been something that we've been discussing in some of the in some mm-hmm. of the uh, social media sites uh, recently because. You know, it's rare to see a card with a, with a collection denoted unless it's, you know, someone especially famous. In this case, I believe Mr. Bray was uh, Jefferson Burdick's assistant, and it's just really cool. We have some evidence right here of uh, Bray talking to Mr. Edwards, and the envelope is labeled Large Obach. So perhaps they were uh, 
selling and trading some Obox back and forth about 80 years ago. We noticed that there was the key cards from the T206 set are not in your collection. Yeah. Did Edwards have those? No, no. If, That's if, shocking. Right. So you 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 found the baseball cards online? Yeah. There right. Were two, a little over 2,000 scanned in, right. 519 were T206s. Right. So it's missing right. five. Yeah. And, and those, those probably were the rarest cards and the, the cards he probably looked hardest for and, and just, just never yeah. found. So every baseball card in the Edwards collection has been scanned, uh, both the front and when there was information on the back, the back, those appear online and they are freely downloadable because anything created before 1924 is in the public domain and therefore there's no copyright violation about disseminating that. So we've done that. Uh, we've made them completely accessible to researchers because we want people to use them. Um, but that being said, so we do have other cards by other means. We do have a few that came in through copyright deposit. Um, we've had a few collectors over the year donate um, modern collections. Um, I keep talking about copyright and saying I want the baseball cards, and they haven't landed, so... <laughs> don't know where they're going. Um, I'm hoping they're safe and then I will find them um, in their warehouse someday. Um, but um, yes, um, if people have extras, duplicates, or things that they for which they no longer have a, a, a reason to keep and wish to donate them, they will get a tax write-off that's commiserate with their donation. Oh, cool. So everyone yeah. hear that. If you don't want to give things to your kids because you don't like them, the Library of Congress will happily take them. <laughs> <laughs> or if you know your children are going to use a, a laundry clip and just attach them to the rear spoke of a bicycle. Yeah, either and way. And you want them to be safe. And so our how are our collections stored? They're stored in um, binders, three-ring binders with um, individual pockets. We've um, secured them with a piece of backing board that holds them into place so they don't shift. Um, they're all item level numbered, uh, and they are stored in a locked cabinet. So they're in a vault that only people with uh, Library of Congress IDs can get into, but then you also need to get a key from one place, get a key from another place, and then open up that cabinet. So it's really super secure. Good, as it should be. Yeah. That's very cool. Is there any sort of ongoing research effort to continue to add to that image repository online because I know I've used it and found it very helpful. So if we added to it, it would be elsewhere in the online catalog. Okay. Um, we do use Flickr and a lot of our uh, photographic collections that contain images of baseball players on Flickr have been compiled into sets by baseball aficionados. They've kind of created their own subsets of baseball players. Um, so feel free to go onto Flickr and manipulate our, our images and tag them. So there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who are collectors, who have things that are unique or rare, things that no one else has ever seen except them and a few other people. It sounds like you do accept, or I don't know if you solicit or how that process works, but if you could just say a little bit about right. that. So we have a very, very limited budget for purchasing. And so we cannot compete on eBay. We can't compete. I mean, we compete with scuffed used cards, maybe that were like, you know, attached with a, a, a laundry clip to a back of a bicycle. But we just don't have the budget. That's what most of mine look like. So, <laughs> uh, We don't have the budget to compete with major collectors. Right. Um, so we have, you, you saw our one Babe Ruth baseball card. 
which we paid money for because they hadn't come to us by donation. So if we could discuss a little bit maybe the, um, the exhibit, the Baseball Americana exhibit that's over in the other building right now, can you tell us sort of um, how did that exhibit come about? How did you pick some of the pieces that are currently on display? Um, just tell us a little bit about that. Right. So the libraries wanted to do a baseball exhibition for a long time. It was kismet that we were hosting the All-Star Game this year. And so what a perfect time to have a baseball card, a baseball card, a baseball exhibition um, than when you have national people in town. Yeah just to look at baseball and a lot of we weren't the only people doing it but um it's a as you can see from the exhibition we can really draw from a lot of parts of the library and put on a a decent exhibition we also borrowed heavily from cooperstown and from private owners um, for this particular exhibition right to tell the story of the creation of this game the development of rules um, but also the visual record. It's not just baseball cards, although you probably saw the conceit of the diamond with the various baseball cards. Yeah, so that, I did. It was very cool. Yeah. Um, and then um, the later cards. Um, over time, people have donated cards here and cards there that help us tell the later story. Um, but the strength of our collection really is the Edwards collection. But why baseball? Why not baseball? It's the American pastime. It's really important, and it offers us an opportunity to highlight our collections from our motion picture um, broadcast and recorded sound division. Um, you got to see some of those yeah. huge screens with the videos of the games. Um, it offers a chance to do sheet music from our music division. Um, because baseball was so important that people were writing sheet music left and right about baseball and about specific players. And it's, it's as much part of the consciousness music is with baseball as the visual record of baseball. That's, that's a good point, actually. I think I would bet that everyone knows the song Take Me Out to the Ball Game, and most of those people probably know virtually nothing else about the game, right. not the rules, not they couldn't name a player maybe besides, I don't know, Derek Jeter or some you know, right. well-known player. So that's interesting. It, yeah, it's certainly a very uh, diverse and multimedia exhibition. Um, there is uh, reproductions of old gloves that you can actually put your hand in and feel. You can swing a bat, you can touch a ball. It really gives people who, both people who are well acquainted with the game and not, a feel for the game over the years, how it's evolved, what it sounds like, like you say, what it looks like, what it smells like. Right. You really got a sense of that in there. And so you're here in town in October um, as we're just winding up uh, the 2018 season, but you have to, maybe you heard three or four languages while you were there. I mean, it's a pretty international audience. So there's people for whom baseball might be that American sport, but they know absolutely nothing about the game. Um, and here's an opportunity to hold a glove for the first time in their lives or hold a bat for the first time in their lives and to see ephemera. And, and we're not telling just the story of the development of Major League Baseball. We're also talking about women in sports, sandlot ball, uh, minorities playing um, segregated ball, and then the evolution of um, a pretty uh, diverse league 
of players. Um, and people can come and see the exhibit Baseball Americana at the Library of Congress here in Washington, D.C. until June 2019. That's right. That's right. We're gonna, in February, we're going to do a complete switch out oh. of artifacts from the Library of Congress. Those are already, um, uh, they've taken away most of the, the art from me, except for I have another uncut sheet of judges that just got scanned. Very cool. Um, and um, I have an uncut sheet from the 90s that just got scanned that um, is going in to replace that other uncut sheet from the 90s. So that means if people come between now and February, they can see what's up now. That's right. And then come after February, you can see a whole new exhibit. That's right, a whole new exhibit. Great, thanks, Sarah. Of course. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to The Monster Podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at themonsterpodcast.com and on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next time.